Hey, hi. Welcome to podcast Cold Turkey or Cold Turkey Podcast. Um, this week I'm with Alex and Alex, um, what I love about the conversation that I had with Alex is the fact that um, the, the, you know, like she, she has a year done, but you know, like we talked a lot about, you know, like the kind of, you know, like where it originates in terms of, you know, like the, the bottom of the barrel and, you know, I like kind of always remember those days um, so that you keep your sobriety healthy. And, you know, like um, there was a, a good conversation about, you know, like the healthy habit that you need to uh, have to, to keep your sobriety healthy, actually. So um, without further ado, here's Alex. Enjoy. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, first question I need to ask, you know, like under the situation, which I hope, you know, like at some point we're going to stop asking this, but I, I hope so. But, you know, like uh, including where are you from, you know, like how's your pandemic going? <laughs> well, I'm in Florida, which just got named the New World Epicenter. So... Um, things are a little scary. People here don't believe any of the COVID-19 stuff is real. Nobody wears a mask and people just want bars in Disneyland or Disney World open. Yeah. But I'm hanging in there. My parents, um, who live only 10 minutes away from me, just went back up north for their summer and I've been unwinding while starting a new job so i'm at least no longer unemployed during the pandemic so that's all that matters for sure exactly and and at the same time um i'm not judging here but are you part of the people that um you said you know like you were worried a bit but you know like are you part of the people that um um where do you sit in that situation? Do you sit on, you know, like that, you know, like freedom at all costs or, or, or be careful and, and. Oh, I believe in science. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. um, I'm over here siding with the medical professionals. Uh, okay. I have a compromised immune system. I also have asthma. So I'm over here wearing my mask, staying home. Yeah. My cat loves it because <laughs> mom's home all the time. Yep. And and I can confirm that, you know, like I, my wife and I think and suspect that, you know, like we, we, um, we caught him some, we caught it something like a month before it's, it all started, you know, like, and, and then mm -hmm. eventually the New York post and some, some other major media talked about the fact that there probably was a first wave of, of something that they couldn't identify as flu, but had all the flu-like symptoms. So mm -hmm. they, they're guessing that it was probably it. And by the way, I was sick and my wife and some other friends that caught it too, um, it fell into the long list of symptoms. So, you know, and I can confirm you that, you know, like my wife is asthmatic um, and she had a much harder time in going through it than I did. Not to a panic mode where, you know, like we need to go to the hospital necessarily, but, um, to a point where, you know, like a, even a few weeks later, you know, like she, she had a hard time 
not breathing, but you know, like she knew that she, you know, like there was still something, you know, like in, mm -hmm. in her lungs, you know. So, um, so yeah, you, you, I, I think you're you're sitting on the right side of the fence. Let's say that way. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think so too. Um, I have plenty of friends who don't agree with me, but. We just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And it's some taboo subject, right? You know, like it it's, uh, yeah, I Which know. Which I don't understand. It's, it's science. It's so weird. It's so weird. You know, like, and, and there is, you know, like I, I talk, I talk a lot about this, but you know, like there are people that on the paranoid side, you know, like there are two, two, three fences there, but you know, like on the paranoid side, um, There are people that, you know, like it, it seems like the, the fuse has burned, you know, like they, they would, you know, like they would get a fucking asthmat if they could, you know, like it, it's mm -hmm. just crazy, you know, like, so you're like, okay, well, relax here. You know, like I, I get the over, um, you know, like I, 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 there's wanting to be too much free, you know, like I get that, you know, like that, that, that is too much, but there's the being too safe, I guess, you know, like, so, um, and so I still to this day don't know what is the middle ground of all that. You know, like, it's a, it's a tough one. It is really a tough one. It is tough. I mean, it's hard because like you, there is, you know, that human nature of wanting to be around people for some, <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, you know, wanting to have that sense of normalcy, but At the same time, I feel like it's come down to it's a matter of common decency at this point. Like, if you want things to slow down and to go back to normal, you got to change your normal for a bit and then things can get back to normal. Yeah. And haven't I, My, haven't I read that Florida is now, if it was a country, would be fourth in terms of uh, or something like that? Something like that. I know um, a lot of news articles have come out in the last 24 hours saying we have been declared as the world's newest epicenter. And I know that two of the major hospitals in the city I live in are at maximum capacity right now. They literally cannot take on new patients. That's and so I'm not sad. even in a big city. Like I'm not in Orlando or Tampa or Miami or any of those big cities. I'm in a pretty small town and even my small town is seeing it. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, like it, it seems like the politics has taken over science and that's where it's the saddest, you know, like, it that, is sad. you know, like my, the company, which I work for as it, as it says quarter in the U S and I was telling my wife at, at, at dinner tonight, I'm like, because of that, you know, like that, that kind of, um, in between and that, you know, like that, that, that situation where, um, the people that lead those nations um, are arguing and fighting, you know, um, because of that, it, it, it has major repercussion on the companies, you know? Like, so, so for, for me um, as an employee of that company, I feel that, you know, like you feel that there's like a, a sense of not really um, like, like if it didn't exist almost um, mm -hmm. and you're like, what, Guys, I mean, you know, like people are freaking dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, right now, the biggest issue in Florida is our governor made an executive order that no matter what the counties want to do, schools have to reopen in the fall <laughs> and fully reopen. And teachers just have to basically figure it out on how they're going to take the pandemic into their own hands. <sighs> 
And we also, by the way, have some of the lowest funding for education as is. Our teachers are given about $100 maximum per year to spend on their classroom supplies. That's crazy. So how are they going to uh, afford all the hand sanitizer necessary and Clorox wipes? I have no clue. That's crazy. Which I'm not a teacher, but I definitely care about, you know, education because that's the future of the world. Oh, exactly. And not only <laughs> that, I mean, like there's, there's, um, there's a, I mean, our future generation are actually seeing that, you know, like, so, so it's pretty much like the, the molding of what adult you're going to become, you know, like, so if they mm -hmm. see that kind of adult fighting over, you know, like that, you know, like if the earth is flat or not, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a scary, it's a scary time. Yeah. And if the, if the, if the argument is, well, y y you have the right to say whatever you want, you know, like, so if you want to argue that the herd is flat, it's okay. You know, like, no. <laughs> Science has proved that the earth is not flat. And that's it. You know, like, there's no arguing about this and there's no, you know, like being open-minded about that. You know, like, for me, yeah. it's just like pretty much like a, a final answer here. You know, like, it's no, you know, like, so... All right, you know, like we could talk about this like <laughs> for hours, but you can start a whole podcast on just pandemics. Oh my god, I did. I did a few episodes. I did one in French, one in English. You know, like like a panel of four people, and it was super interesting. But it was quite at the beginning, you know, like where I kind of didn't know, um, even myself, I didn't know how to react, and you know, like the 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 for me the situation was such kind of shocking I, I think that i was still pretty much like uh my jaw was still on the floor not really knowing what to do and what to say about it you know like and and mm -hmm. to be quite fair i still am a bit um out of words to describe what i think will be and is the impact long term not you know like financially if, well obviously but you know like i mean just in terms of um uh, ptsd likes symptoms and mm -hmm. people in the near future i think we'll be surprised of you know like the impact of that there's going to be a lot of um doctorates degree you know like that's going to write about you know like that the impact of those you know like of that situation for me it's sure, sure enough you know like all right, let's go back or let's go to um, Alex's story. You know, like, so yes. um, as I do on every single episode, it's pretty much like the same thing, you know, like, which is like I open Alex's storybook and, you know, like you bring me to the first chapter and um, you tell me once upon a time, you know, like, where does it start? Yeah, so um, I had a rather... I guess you could say normal upbringing. Um, I had the traditional nuclear family, two children, mom and dad still married to this day. Um, we always had food on the table. If there was an extracurricular I wanted to do, I could do it within reason as long as I kept my grades up. I was an honor student. Um, but I never felt like I fit in, really to any sort of group. I always felt like I was kind of that behind the scenes friend <clears throat> that 
was there, but didn't really have a role in any group. So I kind of jumped from group to group. And I always had this awkward feeling that I didn't know how to talk to people. I had definitely signs of anxiety at a young age. Didn't really realize I had anxiety issues until I was a senior in high school. And my teacher said, you have anxiety. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And so I'm sure that played a huge role in me not feeling like I fit in. But how far, a, how far do you remember having those, you know, like kind of panic symptom or just like that big bowl of <sighs> big ball of stress inside you and your gut, you know? Fifth grade is the earliest I remember really having it. Okay. Um, which I've, you know, I'm, I am a big, because I come from a very supportive family. I've been taking on mental health as a battle since I was about 20 years old. Uh, so about eight years of me, like seeing therapists and psychiatrists and stuff like that. And instantly right off the bat, when I first started therapy, the first time they're like, yeah, you have anxiety disorder. I'm like, heard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I then that, that later on down the road, especially in this last year of me being sober and actually being honest with myself and what I'm feeling and not self-medicating. So much more has come into play, which I will get to that later on. But um, no, I definitely like I remember like feeling anxious like at school when I was in fifth grade. So I guess, you know, in fourth grade is there's a lot to be said that psychologists have now realized that like with my generation with 9-11 happening can trigger a lot of mental health. And that's why the millennial generation tends to have a lot more mental health issues supposedly or whatever and that happened in fourth grade so then come fifth grade I now I'm this little ball of anxiety and it just kept getting worse and worse each year and then middle school is awful for everybody I have yet to find someone who's like I love middle school let's go back to that um lots of bullying but that's just you know everyone goes through stuff like that at middle school for the most part like that awkward hormonal puberty phase it's an it's a shitty phase in our lives. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but so uh, my parents were the type of parents and God bless them for this, they asked a lot of questions. So there really was no room for me to get in any sort of trouble if I was even 5 minutes late from getting home like because I stopped I stayed at the bus stop just to talk to someone, my mom, not like in a you're in trouble way, but she'd be like, oh, where were you? And so I'd be like, oh, I was still at the bus stop. Oh, were you talking to somebody? Like, just like wanting to know what was going on. So like, I always felt like there was like no room for me to mess up because they'd catch me. And I definitely am a people pleaser. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to cause problems. So I always say that I'm a, I was a late bloomer. Because I never even tried, you know, alcohol or drugs for the first time until I was 19 into my second year of college. Well, summer before second year of college. Being a late bloomer, um, I, I was the same, to be honest. I was the same because I, I actually, um, I was like, um, I had quite the facility. Uh, it was super easy for me to in school. And so what they did is that they, they gave me a lot of... Um, reading and so i read the you know the usual i say the usual you know like i may sound like a prick but um 
like Moby Dick and, you know, like those huge mm -hmm. books. And then eventually, and I would guess way too young, um, I was given um, something like um, Christian F., which is like a, a lady drug addict from Europe that eventually died of an overdose. And then the other oh. one was called L'Herbe Bleu, which is like another situation where like, I think the kid dies in that one too. So um, it was not just for the fact, well, I had a drink before that and well, I had the drinks, let's say that way. But you know, like as far as drug came, Uh, for me, it was just like, if I smoke pot, I end up shooting Aaron in my eyes, you know, like, so, so it, it was, um, there was no way I would use drugs or you know, like, I, I was too scared about it. Um, so you said that you, you know, like your first, um, under the influence experience was much later in college, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I have this like very vague memory of me being I want to say around like four maybe five years old um and my mom my my, my mom always used to drink coca-cola whenever she'd have a cigarette it was like her pairing and so as a kid I would always be like mommy can I have a sip and she'd be like sure you know because I would usually just have like a couple sips no big deal and so I associated cans with coca-cola and I assumed every can had coca-cola in it and I do remember There was a time when my mom was drinking a beer and she, I was like, mommy, mommy, can I have a sip? And because I always just took a small sip, she was, you know, like, you know, it was the 90s. So she was like, yeah, just one sip, though. And I do remember me like taking a sip of beer and like kind of being like, mm, I kind of like that, um, which is funny because then once I started actually actively drinking, I hated beer for the longest time. And it took me a while to figure out a way that I could drink beer. Because it but, tastes like butt. Let's be honest here. Yeah. I mean, okay. like, I had to get into craft beer to, like, start liking beer. And it was like, I drank sours, which is, like, one step away from cider. So, big difference. Um, I was definitely more of a, a vodka girl. But, um, but no, so I really didn't start drinking until I was 19. I, at the time, was dating someone who was 23. So, I mean, that's a no-brainer. It started off small, like we'd have wine with dinner. We'd pick up a bottle if I went to go visit him for the weekend because we were a long distance relationship. And that was a very toxic relationship for anomaly reasons. But um, that just kind of, when that relationship ended, it really just solidified that awkward, I don't fit in feeling I had because I was surrounded by friends who were constantly in these loving relationships. And I had myself convinced that to be happy, I needed to have a relationship. And I put up with both physical and mental abuse because I wanted to feel in love, even though I really kind of couldn't stand the guy, but I just wanted what everyone else had. And he was my option. So I took it. <clears throat> and it was and during that The, the relation you, you, you talked about. That was you know, the relationship yeah. that I started drinking during. And when we broke up, that was when I would say I had my first spiral, as I call it. Um, I went up to Philadelphia for the weekend with the pure intention of getting completely fucked up the entire time I was there. And I had a list of goals. I was going to smoke weed for the first time. I was going to go to a bar for the first time. I was going to do shots for the first time. I was going to get drunk. 
I was going to have a one night stand. Like I had all of these like spiral out of control goals for like my the fucked up bucket list. Exactly. A <laughs> fucked up bucket list. And I accomplished my entire bucket list. Nice. And, Congratulations. Yeah. And I got a day trip to New York City to mix into it. Um, <laughs> and it was funny because like the night before we went to New York City, we had drank so much, me and my friend, and she was like 23, 24 as well. She was a friend I met on the internet. So completely safe and normal. Let me just fly to Philadelphia to meet this friend from the internet, which like she's still one of my best friends today. She's like my soulmate. So I'm really glad she didn't turn out to be an axe murderer because I flew from Florida to Philadelphia to meet a random stranger from a blog site. But um, the night before we went to New York, I remember we drank so much the next day. Like we were still drunk on the train to New York City. And like we get in the car to go to the train station and her friend who picked us up said, you guys smell like a liquor store. Are you still drunk or are you hungover? And we both just said in unison, yes. (laughs) and that was my first time really experiencing a hangover i would say as well because about midday through new york city i was not drunk anymore i was not happy my feet hurt i was hungover the city smelled and i did not want to be there anymore um this like glamorous new york city around christmas time was not very glamorous and i wanted to die um but then the next day that night we went out again and i was like ready for part two um and that's kind of like how it went for me for a little bit because I mean I was in college but I was very serious about my schoolwork because I had scholarships if I lost a scholarship I had to move home I wasn't allowed to stay at school if I didn't have a full ride so I needed to maintain my full ride of scholarships and I knew that so and I figured out pretty early on because I am a very self-aware person that when I drank I tend to lose control, but I figured that was normal. I was a young adult. Um, So I just wouldn't let myself drink if school was in session. So I could drink during spring break. I could drink during winter break. I could drink during summer break or weekends. But during the week when I had school, I couldn't drink. So that quickly, um, it became... um it became like the, you, you, you transferred your love story to, you know, like your boyfriend or ex-boyfriend to now substances. Pretty much. Um, and so even your agenda seemed to be syn- synchronizing mm-hmm. to to the use. Yes. And, you know, I, I joined a sorority, which we had standards of rules of the, you know, public image but obviously there is a party scene always behind closed doors with any Greek life. And, um, but even with that, like I didn't want my sisters to know this like extremist side of me. And so when I was at school, I went to school in Fort Myers, Florida. And if I was in Fort Myers, I was pretty much completely under control. I would drink heavily at my apartment sometimes, like if I was stressed, like I remember I got into a disagreement with my parents one time and I drove back to school. And when I got back to school, I drank like an entire bottle of Fireball in like about an hour. And that's like the last time I ever drank Fireball because 
as the Zambuca or tequila, you know, like there are our kinds you of, all, we all have that one bad experience <laughs> with something. And that was a bad experience. And, and up until then fireball was like my go-to drink because it's smooth. It's tastes like candy. Like why not? But it's also really high in sugar. And I thought I was going to die the next day. Um, and I definitely gave myself alcohol poisoning that night and I drove, which wasn't good. Like there was a lot of, just bad things about that night. But that was like, that's one an important part of my story when I went back though, because that was one of the few times that like, I had school the next day. I had my internship that next afternoon. And drinking was a reaction to something negative that happened in my life that, you know, people fight with their parents. That's a completely normal thing. But my reaction to it was to go balls to the walls with a bottle of liquor. Because I refuse to deal with any sense of discomfort. If I was feeling discomfort, I had two reactions. Either I would use either drugs or alcohol, or I'd go to sleep. And so I took a lot of naps when I was in college because I didn't let myself drink or do drugs while I was at school. And therefore, when I got uncomfortable, I took a nap. And that was my other escape basically but anything to escape the way I was feeling basically um <clears throat> excuse me pollen's really bad here um but I because I never really like partied to the extreme in college when I graduated college in the fall of 2014 that is when things really start losing control in my life um I still didn't feel like I fit in. I was supposed to go to law school. I realized I didn't want to go to law school. So I felt like a fraud because I spent this entire time in undergrad doing legal studies as my major, political science as my minor. I was in a law fraternity. I joined a sorority for the connections, all these things. Um, I had an internship at a law firm. And then I realized about six months after graduating that I didn't want to go to law school. And so I was very lost and I started going to the downtown bar scene where I lived and where I grew up and I kind of like just told myself, you didn't party in college. Now you can party because you don't have school as a responsibility. You work full time at a restaurant. You're paying your bills. Why not have some fun? And I started meeting people at the bars that seemed to like me. They seemed to accept me for who I was. I kind of felt like I fit in for once. And all it took was me drinking to get that feeling. And that progressed to basically four more years of me partying very heavily at bars six to seven days a week. Because it was, it became your new fraternity. It basically did. And I actually felt like I fit in at this one because I wasn't trying to maintain an image. I mean, I would show up to the bar in my pajamas and be like, sup guys, here to have fun. Did you miss me? And didn't care. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to be someone other than myself because this group of people I found made me feel like I fit in. Yep. And... <clears throat> It was a very heavy drinking scene. Um, 
lots of recreational drug use. I never, like, drugs were never a huge part of my story. I mean, I would try things, not really care for it. I mean, there is a portion of my story where I, not, I know this sounds weird, but I overdosed on weed and I developed something called cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. Um, because apparently that's a thing you can do. I'm still baffled by that one. It's been over a year and I'm still over here confused how that happened. Um, and that it even can happen. But other than that, like, I mean, you know, I tried various other drugs, but nothing ever stuck like alcohol did. Like I genuinely liked the taste of alcohol. I genuinely liked how I felt when I drank. I loved, like, if I got the spins, like that spinning looping feeling, I liked it. And I felt like this was the answer to all of my problems. Losing control, actually. Yes. Definitely. Like, and losing control, um, on your terms, not on, on, not on the anxiety terms, not on the, um, you know, because you talked about your parents being a controlling, but you're like really having like a, a solid frame of which, you know, like you need to follow that path, you know, and, you know, like brings that question to mind, like how did they react seeing their daughter, um, you know, like kind of losing, <laughs> losing track? Yeah. So, um, I lived with my parents at this time. I lived with them for the majority of the time after, um, college. I mean, there was a short, like six month period. I got an apartment, but then a hurricane, hurricane Irma, which was a big one. So I'm sure many people have heard of it caused a tree to fall in my apartment. And thus my six months of finally being out of my own came to a quick halt and I had to move back in with my parents But my parents, they treated me like an adult once I was living there after college. They let me come and go as I wanted. They still wanted to know where I was going to be and if I was coming home. It wasn't a matter of you have to come home every night. But they wanted to know if I wasn't coming home just because they would want to know if I got into a car accident or something. And um, that's when the lying really started. I would, you know, I would be like, oh, I'm going to go downtown. And my parents would make a couple comments every now and then, like, you're being responsible, right? Like, you go downtown a lot, and I'd be like, oh, well, you know, I really like playing pinball, and they have some really cool pinball machines at the Rue, which is true. Like, that wasn't a lie, and I did like playing pinball, but, like, I made it out to seem almost like I was going to play pinball with my friends, not so much to drink, and I would constantly be like, oh, I'm staying at Sarah's house tonight, when, like... There were nights I slept in my car. There were nights I ended up at random guys' houses. There were nights that I was passed out on the floor of the bar until 6 a.m. But, like, around 1 a.m., almost nightly, I'd be like, I'm staying at Sarah's house and text them that. Because I knew they were. my dad was usually still awake at that time. I didn't want them to be worried if I didn't come home. And it became almost normal that I would come home shortly after the sun rised from Sarah's because I'd come home to change out of my bar clothes, which even though sometimes they were my pajamas, I still wanted to wear clothes that didn't smell like cigarette smoke. Yeah. Um, and that's when I really started trying to like, it's like there was this part of me that knew there was something abnormal about my behavior because I felt the need to try to hide it and try to cover it up a little bit and make it seem less 
frequent as it was. Um, I started trying to work the scene in the sense of getting in with people that worked at the bar, whether it be sleeping with a bar back or trying to become friends with the bartenders, anything that could also help me get beverages for free. Because obviously, you know, drinking at a bar is not the most cost-effective way to no, drink. it's not the cheapest, for sure. No, and because I was there, I, was, I always went to the same bar, same days of the week. I was a regular. And I felt really cool because I was a regular, because it was pretty much like a, no matter how much I drank, I'd ask at the end, how much do I owe you? And they'd be like, $13. No matter what, it was always like 13 bucks. And so like I got a lot of stuff for free. And once that started happening, it was almost like I used that as an excuse for my behavior anymore. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not spending too much money. Yeah. And <clears throat> kind of the the perk of being a trashy drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like I remember like when I first started getting sober and I got my sponsor, she had me make a list of um ways i justified that i wasn't an alcoholic and the list that came up with was things like oh i only bought higher quality brands like yeah therefore i don't have a problem i'm like my bar <laughs> tab was never more than 13 dollars. i always paid my bills i never lost a job because i was drinking but that also was like i never lost a job but i went to work fucked up Plenty of times. There were times I would chug, you know, a twisted tea or something like that on my way to work just to get rid of shakes. <laughs> well, but I didn't you know, get like, caught. Yeah. And, and tell me about it. You know, like I would say that I would never take the borrowed money to buy drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, why the fuck would I borrow money? Because I used all of my earned money to buy yeah, drugs you know, so. exactly like <laughs> the justifications are insane that we come up with and that's like where it comes up like this sick mind and like it's really it is a disease like your brain is sick like yep. that's all it is like and you know um there's a lot of things that played into me finally putting the bottle down um and i have to ask you alex you know like do you have memories of like the first few times that you know like you wake up hangover and um you kind of have that little voice that says it can't be it you know like it can't be life life can't be this definitely um towards the end of me drinking so the last year of me drinking i kind of stopped drinking at bars um so let's flashback to like December of 2017. I'm still drinking at bars regularly. And my parents have been out of town for like six days. So I was watching the dogs and we had elderly dogs that required quite a lot of attention. So I'd just been drinking wine at home all week. And I had reached a point where I was like stir crazy. I needed to get out. So I went to the bar at like noon Maybe a little bit later. I guess, yeah, because I went to my niece and nephew's house at noon. And then by like 3 p.m. I was at the bar, though. And I saw one of my friends. I went up to him. I was like, hey, Jake, how are you? And he's like, oh, do you know this so-and-so, which I'm going to, because he's trying to get sober, I'm going to keep him 
anonymous. Um, and I was like, no, I've never met him. And like, I introduced this guy and, um, we started talking and like one of the very first things that we bonded over was he was like, I'm a functioning alcoholic. And I was like, dude, me too. And like, I was proud of that. Like that feeling I was like, I'm functioning. I'm an alcoholic, but that's okay because meetings are for quitters. And like, that was my mentality about things. Like, and I realized this about myself at this point. And because he said it, I was like, sweet, I feel comfortable because this person's just like me. And we started hanging out very regularly. And like, we ended up living together on his boat for a little bit. And then he ended up when I bought a house because somehow this functioning alcoholic managed to buy a house while completely drunk. I was drunk at my closing. Don't ask me a single question about my closing paperwork. I know nothing about it because when they went over it with me, I was not sober. And I've since admitted that to my parents because they're like, that's in your closing paperwork. And I'm like, I was drunk. I don't remember that day. Um, But he moved into my house with me, was my roommate. And then we ended up dating for about on and off for almost two years. We dated. Um, And he progressed and spiraled downward in his drinking at an earlier and quicker rate than I did, but it was a very much so we enabled each other. And um, he had lost his job at the bar that we hung out at because like during the time of us being friends, he ended up getting a job there and he ended up losing his job for drinking on the job. And therefore we were kind of like, oh, well we shouldn't hang out there anymore because that's awkward. And so the new normal became Every single day, I'd get off of work, I'd head to the liquor store at like 10 p.m. because the liquor store closed at 11, I'd get a bottle of vodka, I'd bring it back to the house, we would split the bottle of vodka, and if we still felt the need to drink more, we would go to the convenience store that was right across the street and get a 24-pack of beer and split that. And so like every single night, I was pretty much drinking 12 beers and a half a bottle of vodka just to numb myself. And I thought that was completely fine because two people were getting drunk for 20 bucks. And it was normal, I felt like we're drinking at home, we're not going out, we're not driving, everything's fine. Um but when that became like such a habit, every single day I had to drink. And I remember like waking up in the morning feeling withdrawal symptoms and I'd have to go to the grocery store and buy like a bottle or two of champagne just to drink that because I could be rather functioning if I drank champagne and I could do my job with that little like perky drunk and so I would drink that before work just so I could get through my shift and then I started realizing that my ex was to a point where he was hiding alcohol in the house, lying about drinking, he wasn't working, all these things. So I became so fixated with my sick brain on his problem because I didn't have a problem. He had a problem, not me. And um, because I was working, so therefore I couldn't have a problem. Classic. Yeah, exactly. We all know how this story goes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like you're going to go to an AA meeting and I'm going to drag you there 
And so we started doing that. I made him tell my parents he was an alcoholic, like, because he lost his yet another job and he was about to get benefits at that job. And I was like, there's no way we can explain why you would quit this job. So we can't, like, loop this story into being that you quit. Like, you have to tell my parents you were fired for bringing vodka to work. And, um, he's like, okay, fine. I'll tell him. He was drunk when he told my parents, he's like, I'm an alcoholic. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to start going to meetings, you know, all this stuff. Um, and you know, that would work for a little bit. Like, and like, because he was getting sober, I was like, I'm going to give up drinking too. Woo. We're going to be supportive. But like that would last for me, maybe like 27 days. And I worked next door to a bar and we got a shift drink. And then, like, around, like, day 28, I'd be like, it's a Sunday. No one's going to be there. I'm just going to skip on over to the bar real quick and see my good friend who works there. And I would do, like, four or five shots of Rumplemints, which, you know, is 100 proof. So I'd be like, oh, well, I only did four or five shots. If I did four or five shots of something that was 100 proof in, like, 10 minutes, and then I'd drive home, and because it was peppermint, I'd be like, oh, I was just chewing gum. And I'd be like, lying about the fact that I drank even though he'd been drinking the entire time and I had no idea because I was so like into this my boyfriend's getting sober because he has a problem and that went on for a few months you know we started going at one point we started going to AA every single morning and I always went with him and I always said to him if you don't want me to go I won't go but if you want me to go I will go and he was always like no I want you there for support and I'm like okay I'll, I'll go and so eventually it became one of those things where you have a head full of AA and a belly full of booze and that never, ever goes well. And um, on my sobriety date, which is June 29th of 2019, the friend that actually introduced us passed away from a heart attack at 29 years old. He had a heart condition that he knew about, but he was also told that he could live a longer and fuller life if he gave up drinking, which he did not do. And he was one of those people that I drank with regularly. So he was drinking kind of similarly to how I did. Um, and it took his life. And I remember it was around like noon that morning after he had died in the middle of the night. And I had a white claw in my hand and I was getting, I was like, I'd had like a sip of it. And I just like felt sick to my stomach. Like, why am I doing this with my life? And I threw it away. And I even told myself, like, you're not giving up drinking forever. You're just giving up drinking on a regular basis. Like, you'll still drink during holidays and like New Year's. You'll definitely have a toast of champagne when you get married you'll have a toast with champagne. Like you can still do that. Like it's not a big deal. You're just not going to drink regularly anymore because I couldn't, I couldn't tell myself this was going to be a new thing for me because that was terrifying. And denial, you know, like in just denial. Exactly. You know, like, like you can't, you know, like minimizing the situation to a point where, it's all, it's all okay. You're like, you're like, no, 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 you know, like there's, it's not that bad. You know? Exactly. Like, oh, I'm just going to give up drinking for a while, you know, reset the tolerance, you know, anything like that. Um, 
Because that was something I had done many times over those last, like, five years of me celebrating graduating college. Because, you know, we all need to celebrate for five years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Minimum. Minimum. Well, I, would, I was like, I went to school for five years. Why not celebrate for five years? Exactly. Um, and I came up with a list. I remember I, like, I literally, like, made up a list in my head of things that if they happened then I'm allowed to drink again. And it was like, if I lost my job, I'm allowed to drink again. If my boyfriend broke up with me, I'm allowed to drink again. If I got really sick, I'm allowed to drink again. Like if I lost my house, I'm allowed to drink again. Like all these different things that are like extreme situations, but like negative ones, if those happen, I'm allowed to drink. And, um, I was in the beginning. I say, I like, I've been, I've talked about this with my sponsor. We keep June 29th as my sobriety date because it's when I got sober of what I actually had a problem with. And also, I was prescribed medical marijuana at the time. And my yep. doctor, who knew I had a drinking problem, had suggested me try marijuana maintenance as a way to help me quit drinking. Because, like, medically speaking, that was a problem for me. She was very concerned with how much I was drinking. And so for the first like month and a half of me not drinking, I was still smoking weed. Um, You're lucky. I was I was actually prescribed opioid when uh, when I asked my family doctor uh, what would be the solution for me to stop uh, using. Yeah, and so I know a I lot was, of people get like huge, benzos and stuff like that. I was a huge uh, yeah. It was Atsivan, which I don't know, but it's a, it's an opioid. Um, and I I actually told my doctor that, you know, like I was a huge pot smoker and, you know, like it made, it made me nervous to stop. And he's like, yeah, no problem. You know, I got something for you. And I remember calling a friend because I knew that his father was taking those and she's like, what's the milligram dosage? And, uh, he was like, uh, an experienced user of that drug. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I've never seen such a dosage. So what he wanted to do actually was to probably, knock me the fuck out for the time that I would be, um, you know, like for, for, I don't know, like for, for, I don't know for how long, but you know, like obviously for the time that it would take for me to not want it anymore, you know, like, so I don't know what was the strategy to be honest. Like, I've well, never... that's what they do in a lot of rehab centers. Like they just load you up with drugs to get you to stop whatever drug of choice you were in there for, because um during my first couple months of sobriety my ex went to rehab and he got put on benzos to help him come off of alcohol he, then he was put on like three different psych meds and like two of them were habit forming and all this stuff and i was like uh they're really drugging you here ain't that fucking crazy you it know, like is like and like then i was like yo I was talking about some of those meds you be on to some of my coworkers and like her husband was on them and got like serious side effects, like long-term can reverse side effects. You might want to stop taking some of those. Um, but so if we went by when I stopped smoking weed, my technical sobriety dates, you know, like it just depends on everyone's matter of opinion would be August 21st. But like I said, June 29th is a very important day in my story. And it's when I made the conscious decision to stop drinking. And so I've chosen to keep that as my sobriety date. <laughs> um, but that summer, 
I did get hospitalized for going overboard with smoking weed. Um, I was basically one week out of dying as a result of how much I was smoking weed because, like I said, I developed something called cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome. And to summarize what it is, basically it's if you have too high of a concentration of cannabinoids in your bloodstream and your body is susceptible to developing this syndrome, your white blood cell count increases and attacks your body because of the cannabinoids. And at the time I was smoking very large quantities of medical grade marijuana. Plus I was using CBD products, which are pure cannabinoids, including CBD lotion. And I became very nauseous around the time that my boyfriend was going to rehab. I remember being, it felt so weird. I was like at AA meetings in the bathroom, clutching the toilet, throwing up. But I was like, I haven't even drank in months. Like, I don't understand why I'm getting sick. And I couldn't keep food down. I couldn't keep water down. It didn't matter what I tried to consume. I could not keep it down. And it was like $13,000 in medical debt later. I had a doctor simply ask me, do you smoke weed? And I was like, yeah, I have my med card, you know, really defensive. Like, I'm allowed to. And he was like, I don't. I don't care about the logistics or the legalities. I was just curious, how much do you smoke? And I told him, and he's like, I want you to try not smoking. And I was like, okay. And over here, like, narc, like, you're just being a quack. And he told me why. And I looked it up online. I was like, oh, there might be some truth to this. And literally within, like, 24 hours, I started feeling better. Like, I wasn't back to normal, but I was doing better. I could keep some food down. I could keep a glass of water down, which was a huge improvement. And the way people actually end up dying from it isn't necessarily from the syndrome itself, but it's from malnutrition and dehydration. And your body can only go so many weeks of you throwing everything up before it just gives out. And this had been going on for two and a half weeks. And everyone who has died as a result of it, it's been at like three and a half to four weeks. So I was about one week away. So that would be a serious medical problem, you know, medical debt without insurance because... We have great health care in the United States. Um, and I realized without realizing it that I made it through that without drinking. So and I didn't realize it at the time, but it's more so like I, I've been reflecting a lot over the last month because I did just hit a year sober. So I've been doing a lot of reflection. I'm like, wow, I'm, that was a pretty scary situation. And you didn't even consider drinking during it. That's pretty cool. And... um Around that time is when my boyfriend went to rehab. So when he got out of rehab, we started going to AA again, but I wasn't going while he was gone. But I started feeling really like irritable, restless, discontent. All those thoughts were spilling around in my head. I didn't, I wasn't settling well. And I kind of realized that the only thing that had really changed in my life was I wasn't going to AA every day anymore. And that kind of made me kind of reflect. I was like, maybe you do have a problem. And I remember like talking to my boyfriend on the phone and being like, so I know you're the one in rehab right now, but I think I might be an alcoholic. And he was like, well, only you can decide that. And I was like, we really didn't drink that differently. 
He's like, no. He's like, you didn't really hide it, but you also were working, so you didn't need to hide it. And I was like, I had a dream the other night that I was drinking, and I woke up tasting vodka in my mouth, and it made me really crave it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've had those dreams before. And I was like, I kind of miss going to AA. And he's like, well, you can go to a meeting. There's nothing stopping you. And I was like, yeah, maybe. So I kind of just like tabled that conversation and was like, we'll figure it out later. But when he got out, I started going to meetings again and I went with him. But like, I was like, I'm going to go into these meetings with a different mindset. Instead of me coming here on the defense and I'm here for moral support, I'm just going to be here for me and I'm going to listen and see what I get out of it. And that was when things really started to change for me because I actually opened my mind up to working a program as opposed to just trying to white knuckle it through sobriety. And I was a better person once I started doing that because I mean, for lack of better words, I was a dry drunk during that summer of me just white knuckling it. I was not a nice person. I was abusive to my boyfriend because he was struggling with drinking. I was self-medicating with marijuana way more than anyone should have been. And I was still very on edge all the time. And so he ended up going back to his home state, which is up in Colorado, to live with family for a while because we decided it was what was best. And I told myself, you know what? Continue going to meetings once he's gone. And so I did. I told myself that within the first two weeks of him being gone, I wanted to find a sponsor. So I did. And I instantly started working the steps. And um, through working the steps, I have become a much stronger person. Because then, later on, at about seven months sober, my boyfriend broke up with me. And I didn't drink. And then at eight months sober... I lost my job because of the COVID and I didn't drink (laughs) and like all these things that I had previously said, if that happens, you're going to drink, you're allowed to, I made it through them. Obviously like with not ease, like I was very, very messed up emotionally when my boyfriend broke up with me. Um, but instead I called my sponsor. Instead of considering going to the bar, I called my sponsor and I cried on the phone with her. She stayed on the phone with me until like 2 a.m. with me crying. I had friends that I talked to every moment of the day, so I would never felt alone. And I made it through by the help of my support system and everything like that. And, you know, this the fellowship of going to meetings is really what has kept me sober. And now I'm, you know, getting more involved with service And that's been really great. And it's just, it's this surreal journey that like, if you had told me a year ago, I'd still be sober. I would have laughed in your fucking face (laughs) because that wasn't my plan. What, what's exactly, what's, what's the healthy diet of Alex sobriety right now? Um, so I, (laughs) you know, the first six months of sobriety, I, had this weird thing that I had come up with with my therapist of anytime I wanted to drink, I'd eat a box of mac and cheese instead. 
And so yeah, and I, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to have necessarily like, you know, like when I'm, what I mean by that is that, you know, like, do you do a meeting a day? Do you do like, yeah. you know, like the, the, the reading, the writing and so, you know, like it's, it's awesome that awesome. It's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I, I understand kind of that. Um, I've always said that, you know, like there is, um, we, we seem to be, um, inhibited by the idea to reward ourselves. Yeah. Um, always, you know, like, so, so even, even 15 years in plus, I still have that craving for rewarding myself. Oh yeah. I mean, candy is my go-to for everything. And I had to, I had to stop recently, you know, like I had to, and, and when I say rewarding, it would be for anything. It would be for <laughs> getting a bigger paycheck. I'm like, oh, I fucking deserve it. Oh, you know, absolutely. like to, to you know, like to buy myself this or that, and then and then it for for food. Oh, but but I deserve it. You know, like and it would always be um, the reward. You know, like the, the there was always be there. There always is a justification for that rewarding, mm-hmm. and and. Um, and so I totally get it, you know, like that, you know, like the, if I, if I, you know, like if I get a craving, well, I almost, I deserve to have that mac and cheese, you know? Absolutely. And like, I started doing like where I started working out and I'm not doing that again because the pandemic happened. So I was like, I'm not working out anymore, but I started working out right before the pandemic with a personal trainer and she was like, no more mac and cheese. And I was like, Mm, my therapist said I can have a box of mac and cheese every time I want alcohol. And she was like, you're six months sober. It's time to start getting over that. And I was like, yeah, I guess I am six months sober. I'm like, I guess I don't need to replace alcohol with mac and cheese every single time. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like we can, we can bullshit ourselves um, a lot through that. And at oh, the yeah. same time, you know, like I, I you know, like I, I think we're natural at OCDing on whatever the fuck we touch, you know? For sure. Um, and so believe me when I say that, you know, like the, the research I did to get the best equipment for podcasting has been done, no doubt, you know, and sleeping too, going to bed too late because I was browsing the reviews on the internet on my tablet and, you know, like going, going in bed, um, too late because I was actually looking for, you know, like the best barbecue and, you know, like whatever I touch, you know, like, so speaking of training, I did quite the opposite, you know, like, so when the pandemic hit, I have like a full blown gym in my garage. I'm like, okay, all in motherfuckers, you know, like I'm, (laughs) You know, like just all in. So I had, I'd heard of the keto diet. I'm like, okay, full on fucking keto. I'm going to train five days a week. I'm going to run my way to the daycare to drop my child. I'm going to run my way back. And next thing you know, I, I call, actually my wife calls me because I've been gone running with my son on the stroller for over two hours. And she's like, where the fuck are you? I'm like, I don't feel my leg. I feel fantastic. I'm up a half marathon now. I don't know where I'm going to stop. 
Yeah. And she's like, are you, are you out of your mind? We can argue anything halfway. <laughs> yeah, but are you, are you out of your mind? You know, like just a few weeks in starting running, I go out and run a half marathon at full sun with my son in the stroller. And just my son was enjoying, was having a blast actually. Like it wasn't, you know, like not that was, you know, like hurting my son or, you know, like that he wasn't getting sunburn or whatever, but it was just nuts, you know, like so... um Next thing you know, like I'm, I'm starting to get shoulder aches and my f- lower back aches and this and that. And when, you know, like you go to the Cairo or whatever, it's like, okay, so you started training. Yeah, yeah. And so how much training you do? Oh, well, I ran an half marathon and, you know, like I train five days a week and I run every day if I can. And, you know, I can't, and he's like, are, are, are you crazy? You know? <laughs> yeah, a bit, you know? Yeah. So I tend to, to this day, OCD on pretty much anything I touch. Now, the difference I think between day one and 15 years is um you know <laughs> you're you're kind of aware of it. You know? Absolutely. Like, so, I mean I can even so, just say that from day one to just one year. Like you're yeah. way more aware of everything. Yeah, um, and that voice on your shoulder just screams louder. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So I guess to get back to the actual question, since I totally misunderstood it and thought you actually wanted to know what kind of diet I ate. Because, you know, like I said, I'm a little bit awkward, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> We're all, ate, aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> exactly. We had to get here somehow. <laughs> um, I make sure I go at least to two meetings a day a week. Um, because I have two home groups because like a true alcoholic, one is never enough. And so I make sure I at least go to my home groups every single week. Um, I try to sign up for a service role at one of the home groups every single month. And then the other one, I volunteer to read one of the readings every single meeting. Um, other than that, I do a lot of prayer and meditation. I talk to my sponsor on almost daily basis. My sponsor had me start doing this amazing thing that I hated at first, um, where I have to write a gratitude list every single day, and I'm supposed to send it to at least four other women. And when I tell you I was like adamantly against texting another woman anything, I dragged my heels on it. She was like, just send it. She's like, you don't even need to have a conversation. Just send your gratitude list to another woman in recovery. And I was like, no. And she's like, do it. And she like gave me some phone numbers of people that she does gratitude lists with. And now I have this group of women that I'm sending gratitude lists and receiving gratitude lists every single day. And it really does help like coming back to the gratitude of things. Um, Another huge part of what keeps me sober is you know, like not everyone has this, but mental illness is a huge part of my story and a part of who I am. Um, shortly after I got sober, I actually did get diagnosed as bipolar and I tend to run more manic, which would explain why I drink so much because you tend to self-medicate with whatever the opposite is. So because I was manic, I was self-medicating with depressants to bring me down to a normal level. Um, I have clinical depression chronic PTSD and I have a touch of OCD as well and so I go to the psychiatrist once a month I go to therapy twice a month I'm on psych meds for it which the way I see it is you know my psych meds and my therapy they're great at helping keep me sober but they can't do it alone 
just like going to meetings is great at helping keep me sober, but it can't do it alone. Like I need a balance between both of them because part of my addiction issues comes from a a medical chemical imbalance in my brain. Whereas the other part is a personal personality disease sort of thing. Yeah. And it's uh, it's, a, It, 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 this is quite literally what I meant by an healthy diet. You know, like it, it doesn't matter how you do it. You know, like some, some people do, um, weekly low ends. Uh, I don't know if you know, I think it's bioenergy, which is like, those are sessions where you're know, like, you, 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 there's breathing techniques, screaming techniques, you know, like there's all kinds, which is peripheral to actually the fraternities and, you know, like the meetings and all that, you know, like, so, um, <coughs> I tend to, you know, like get my stability or get myself grounded through all kinds of stuff, which is, which is funny because, you know, like when I started the meeting, the, the podcast, I was actually asked, you know, like, aren't you against, you know, like, aren't, aren't you running against like the tradition and all that? And I was like, this has nothing to do with that. Yeah. I mean, um, the so people I, had, I talk to, the people I sit with, I had some a friend do. ask me, she's like, why are you talk? Why do you talk about going to AA so much? Isn't it supposed to be anonymous? And I was like, cause, and it wasn't like she was trying to ridicule me. She was just genuinely curious as a normie. Yep. She wasn't sure because she had been told that everything with AA had to be anonymous. And I was like, I was like, I'm not breaking anyone's anonymity. Like, I was like, I'm just speaking about my own personal experience. I'm like, as long as I'm not, you know, declaring someone's name and who they are and, you know, stuff like that, like, I can speak about my own experiences freely. Like, there's no rule about that, in my opinion. And neither my sponsor's opinion. I've talked about it with her and she's like, you know. You want to hear a funny story? Not too, not, not later than this week. I found a documentary about the origin of NA, um, which is super interesting. There are actually two videos made by the same two people that presented at two different places. It's about an hour and a half about the origin of NA. Um, So fascinating. And one part that he glanced over, especially on the first one, I'm not done with the second one, because it's the same story. So... um, on the first one, he mentions um, the the um, why was anonymity so important at the time, and so they show photos of people attending meeting with masks, and he's like, people were so stigmatized if they were labeled as alcoholics yeah. that the 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 anonymous part was just. Um, life or death almost for them professionally especially um so they had to keep the anonymity complete now in terms of na it made matter even worse because at the time there were counties that had laws that even if you had the like the dope tracks on your forearms um they could they could arrest you and jail you just for uh suspecting that you were a drug user so the anonymous, and so they were shutting down and raiding meetings at the time because they were full of junkies, and you could arrest and 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 prison those junkies. That's insane. And so it, it was insane because <laughs> the there was a few things amongst themselves amongst these um, the the um, medical lobby 
being so much against, you know, like those meetings um, because they wanted to get you on the pills like, you know, like we, we've both experienced, um, which is completely different from, you know, like the prescriptions you, you're on now. You know, like what I'm saying is that, you know, like um, transferring an addiction to alcohol or to weed into an addiction to opioid, for me, it's just fucking, it should be criminal, you know, like to, to do something like that. That's my own opinion. But it was interesting to hear that from those documentaries because for me, it, it made the... Um, some of the people that are so dogmatized into don't talk about it, don't talk about it. Well, you know what? In 2020, the fact that we did that too, so much of not talking about it made it that since I started the podcast, you have no idea how many people have reached out saying, I'm not going to meetings because I think those are shitty, unwelcoming places. And I'm like, well, it's just all the opposite of that yeah and you have to at least see it for yourself you know but but sure enough you know like just seeing that little uh you know like that little tag on the door and seeing like a bunch of people smoking at the front door and it doesn't look like a welcoming place i get it you know like i i totally understand but maybe one of the reason is that one we haven't modernized the approach of the fraternities into that those new realities such as social media and you know like the TikToks and the Instagrams of these days, um, where I, I haven't seen any banner in Facebook, for example, for AA at all. So, isn't there isn't it time to embark on that? Um, well, the virtual meetings, you know, thank coronavirus because there wouldn't have been as many meetings virtually. Actually, it wasn't any if it wasn't for someone telling me about intherooms.com, which I didn't know, which existed way before the, the, the pandemic hit, but I didn't know about this site. Um, but that being said, there weren't any virtual meeting, which in 2020 shouldn't have been like a good timing to start. So, um, and, and so because of that, because it hasn't modernized and there was, there's dogmatized people just shut up, shut up, shut up. Well, it makes it that, you know, like people actually don't either don't find it or when they find it, they don't see it as being as open armed as it really is, you know, Absolutely. and I find this super unfortunate. And I'm, I'm, my guess is that we're missing probably worldwide hundreds, if not thousands of people that should be in rooms that aren't because, you know, like they just don't see it as being a warm place to be at. You oh, know? I've so, been accused of being in a cult. And I'm yeah, like, it's not, no doubt. but okay. I mean, you don't, you don't have to see that, but that's okay. You can say that it's a cult, I guess. I mean. But by definition, Alex, you know, like, you know, like a cult um, or um, in French is insect. Um, but, you know, like yeah, I spoke to the, um, general manager of InfoCult in, in Montreal, you know, like the guy does like worldwide um, speaking and, you know, like the guy is a, just like a fucking Jedi of, of cults. Um, and he, 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 one of the first thing he did is to actually um, defend and, and, and redefine what a cult really is. You know, like, you know, like they are, they are yoga um, outing, that are, by definition are cults, 
you know, like, and they are, they are, um, situation where, you know, like people do, I don't know, like special diets or special, um, fasting, um, you know, like a vacation, which would be cult ish, like, you know, like, and, and he's like, and those are not hurting anyone. You know, like, it's just that by definition and true history, we have defined cult as a bad thing. And so when you take the fraternities by, by the defining standard of what a cult is, I would probably have a long argument with someone saying that, yeah, it, it could be a cult, but it's saving people's lives. And that's it. Exactly. It's okay. And, you know, you know and, 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 it's, right, and it's okay. So. Exactly. And so for me, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. I'm like, well, we're, we're a bunch of followers. You know, like there's no leader, but the, a cult doesn't need a leader. Uh, you know, like a cult doesn't le- need a guru. Um, and by the way, I didn't know that. It's all that guy that told me that. You know, I can. So a cult doesn't need a guru. A cult doesn't need um, um, some kind of, you know, like the, the dogma doesn't need to be negative. Um, and so, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, we do donate money as well to the basket so we can be self supporting. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you take just like on a, what are the conditions for something to be called a cult? Um, you would probably end up saying, oh shit, it is. <laughs> but the problem we have is that we've stigmatized that, that word cult into negative, neg- negative shit, such as, you know, like Koresh and, and, you know, what happened to Waco and, and so on, you know, like, and, 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 and Jonestown and all these stuff. But this is not like, it's funny because when I met the guy, I was expecting kind of the, you know, like the explosive, explosive, um, affirmation and you know like kind of the disclosing of you know like there are still maleficent cults in the world and you know like i was expecting like the sensationalist guy you know like telling me about those horror stories and all and bottom line the guy just educated me for an hour and a half you know just just like well relax you know like there are people that do like i said you know like yoga escapes you know like regular yoga escapes and by definition they're cults and they, they're fantastic for their for their members. And I was like, uh, okay. And you know, like it was like that for more than an hour with that guy. You know, like which so yeah, I mean like it, I mean it, it is a occult maybe and if it is, awesome, you know, fantastic. Yeah. It saves and saved millions of people's lives. Absolutely. You know? And and again, you know, like you, you you know, like you make your own sobriety, you know, like every single individuals that either join or not make and build their own sobriety. You know, like I've seen people that have 20 years that have, you know, like have, haven't worked on their sobriety at all and have quite, you know, like to be, on, to be quite fair, you know, like quite an, an unhealthy sobriety, you know, and I've seen people that have a few months that are way ahead of my own work and progress you know like and i'm like you know what you know like to each and everyone their you know their path to being getting better and you know being better you know so i don't uh, you know like as soon as as long as you know like you stop using the world's at your free feet you know 
Absolutely. I mean, I know like so much has changed in my life in the last year. I mean, I got out of the service industry finally after getting out of college. I, you know, started paying down debts that I had. I got my mental health under control, all these things. And had I not gone sober, none of that would have happened. I mean, sure, I lost my friend group because my friend group was drinking buddies, but they weren't really my friends. They were just people I drank with. I just thought they were my friends. And in turn, from me going to, you know, like, I go to young people groups a lot for my meetings. And in turn, I've met all these other really cool young people that have gone sober, or they're not even young anymore, but they got sober and they were really young. So they still go to the young people meetings. And like, we do really fun things after our meetings. We go out to eat or we play games. Like, we do things. And I've developed this new friend group where I, you know, I always say, like, I still don't fully feel like I fit in, but I think there might always be a feeling inside my head that I don't fit in. And that's okay as long as I can learn to live with that feeling. Exactly. Because I'm always going to have anxiety. I'm always going to be bipolar. I'm always going to have these voices in my head telling me that I don't fit in. And that's okay. As long as I don't see the solution to that as I should pick up a drink or I should do some drugs, then that's okay. Like we all sit with some discomfort at times and it's not letting that discomfort get the better of you. That's phenomenal, Alex. You know, like I, I see like more progress, um, you know, like in a year that I've seen, you know, like, you know, like it's, it's, you know, like you can't evaluate or judge that, but you know, like, uh, I, I hear, uh, just great stuff from you. You know, like it's, it's awesome. Um, and I have to thank you for being so open with me and accepting that invite that, you know, like I send people out, you know, like actually, you know, actual strangers, you know, like that, that I just send out and ask, you know, like to be part of that journey of that podcast. And Absolutely. you know, like you've accepted, you've, you've responded, you know, like in a super fast <laughs> time manner you know like i was like awesome you know like oh, because, i'm always on my phone so yeah and but i'm i'm just uh you know like I, i'm just running after you know like my next guest all the time you know like and it's you know like, quite fair it's a lot of work but you know like uh when i see the responses and i see that people that i don't know and i used to be well I'm still a, quite an introvert and, you know, I kind of that, you know, like a shy type and, you know, like I, I just like become that keyboard warrior where you're like, okay, I'm going to invite this, this person because, you know, like the, there are inspired stuff coming out of her and, you know, like, and, and this one and this one, and then I get the responses. I'm like, holy shit. Okay. It was just like, I don't even know how I would respond myself because of all these things. I'm a shy guy. I'm, I'm, I would be like, who is this guy? You know, I can, but it, it's just, um, it's just awesome that he accepted. So I thank you for that. Absolutely. Really. It was my pleasure. Is there, because I, I think I saw you publish a lot of stuff about sobriety. Is yes. this something that you share with the old world or you keep it for, you know, like kind of a close? No, network? I'm actually really open about it. Um, about, Maybe two, three months ago, I can't remember, I had this epiphany that I wanted to start a blog, <clears throat> which I have done countless times in the past, and keeping up with a blog is a lot of work. Um, it is. 
but I wanted to talk about my journey with mental health recovery and addiction recovery because I know that when like someone looks at me, they don't see like if someone saw me on like, you know, at work, they wouldn't think, oh, she's probably a recovering addict. Like I don't fit that stereotype image. And I wanted to end that stigma because there is no set image of what an addict looks, looks like. There's no set image of what someone that has mental health looks like. Like you can look like everybody else and still have these problems that you've dealt with and recovered from and are fighting. And so I started a blog. It's um shameless plug. It's the sober babe.wordpress.com. Yep. And it is on hiatus right now just because I did just start a job and I wanted to be able to fully dedicate my time and mental capacity to my job um i do get overwhelmed really easily and because obviously my sobriety has to be my number one priority i have to do anything i can to maintain that sobriety and i decided that pausing my blog for a little bit would be something that would help that um and it's just you know i'm candid about things that i go through with life of being someone that's sober who's young and has mental illness as well and I talk about both mental illness and sobriety on my Instagram a lot because I want people to normalize it. I want it to be a normalized topic. I want someone to maybe be that person that's struggling with it, that is afraid to reach out to somebody to feel like they can reach out, whether it be to me or to someone else. I just want people to be able to see that it's okay to talk about it. Because it is. And where can people find you on Instagram? Um, so my handle is Lexi Lee, which is L-E-X-I-L-I-I. Okay. And so for anyone that's listening to the episode right now, you can scroll down to the description and you can find all of these links. You know, like they're they're easy to find. They're in the description of the episode. Um Alex is going to send them my way and, you know, like I'm, I'm going to share anything that, you know, like pertain to stuff that she wants to share in terms of, you know, like her blog or Instagram um, account and, and so on. So it would be, it, it's going to be easy for you to find it. Yeah. So, and my blog is linked on my Instagram. So once you find my Instagram, you can find pretty much anything because awesome. I, my Instagram handle is my handle for everything. It's my Twitter handle, my Snapchat handle. All of them use the same handle. The only yep. thing that's different is my blog URL, but that's because it's the title of my blog. <laughs> yep, exactly. Again, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. And, you know, like um, as far as, you know, like the pandemic situation, your own sobriety, I wish that everything's going to turn out okay. Absolutely. You know, like it's, it's, I think that's all any and, of us can uh, hope for. Exactly. Thanks again. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.